Hey, this is Cody. And this is Molly. From Stolen Drives. And you're listening to KRUI Iowa, Iowa City. Good morning and welcome to So This Week. I am Zoe and this week a lot of things happened. So buckle up because you might be driving and also because... I have a lot of news to share. On Sunday, former Boston Red Sox player David Ortiz was shot in the back in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. He was at the Dial Discotheque on Sunday night in Santo Domingo when at 8.50 p.m. a gunman got off a motorcycle and shot Ortiz in the back at nearly point-blank range. The bullet went through Ortiz's stomach, but he is alive and recovering. After being taken to a local hospital for a surgery that involved removing his gallbladder and parts of his intestine, he was stable enough to be transported back to Boston on a plane provided by the Boston Red Sox. He is now recovering at Massachusetts General Hospital. Ortiz is a three-time World Series champion who played in the major leagues for 20 years with 10 All-Star appearances. He retired in 2016 at the age of 40. So Eddie Felice Garcia is accused of driving the motorcycle and he was captured and beaten by a crowd of people after attempting to get away on a motorcycle that fell to the pavement soon after he started driving it. He was arrested immediately after the attack and released from the hospital a couple days later. Rolfi Ferreira Cruz admitted to shooting Ortiz despite declining to share a possible motive for the shooting. Authorities have announced that the incident was a $400,000 Dominican peso hit, which is about $7,830. They believe Ferreira Cruz and six other men were involved in the shooting together, and five of those six people have been arrested and have been jailed. So, what do professional sign spinners a taco truck, a steel drum, a minimum wage protest, and sidewalk chalk have in common. Sundays in Cedar Rapids. On Sunday, 19 of the 23 Democratic candidates running in the 2020 presidential election descended upon Cedar Rapids for the annual Democratic Hall of Fame dinner. The candidates each had five minutes during the dinner to speak, some of whom went a little over and were consequently played off by their selected music. The city was enveloped in politics all day, with supporters from each campaign flooding the streets in their various styles. Some brought sidewalk chalk, some joined in on chants together. Kamala Harris supporters began chanting at 5 a.m. Tulsi Gabbard had a steel drum O'Rourke had a taco truck, and Sanders even joined in on a protest with McDonald's workers for $15 wages. This was the largest gathering of the 2020 presidential race so far, with only four candidates, Joe Biden, Julian Castro, Wayne Massam, and Seth Moulton, not in attendance. A bill up for debate in Hong Kong has sparked strong controversy in the semi-autonomous city. The extradition bill, allowing China to extradite fugitives from the city, has created political gridlock. 
the government describes the bill as addressing current legal loopholes by allowing decisions to be made on a case-by-case basis on whether to send fugitives to territories where the city doesn't have formal extradition deals, such as mainland China and Taiwan. Critics say this means anyone on Hong Kong soil could be taken by Chinese authorities for any reason, such as politics or inadvertent business offenses, which they say could undermine the city's legal system. To express their disinterest in this bill, protesters took to the streets on Sunday in the largest demonstration in Hong Kong since 1997. The protest was organized by by the Civil Human Rights Front, and protesters gathered at Victoria Park, which is in central Hong Kong, all wearing white. They chanted, and then, as they did so, embarked on a three-kilometer trek to the Legislative Council. While the protest remained peaceful during the day, it turned violent at night, with police officers using batons and pepper spray to disperse protesters. At least seven people were arrested. The Civil Human Rights Fund Front reports 1.03 million marchers, but Hong Kong police report the number being closer to 240,000. The protest ended around 10.30 p.m., and despite the government drawing criticism from the United States and the European Union, it has decided to maintain debate of the bill, which was scheduled for June 12th. So the protests in China continued throughout the week, and then on Wednesday, June 12th, Tens of thousands of people who were mostly young surrounded the city's government headquarters by occupying the main thoroughfare and its nearby streets. Some protesters were seen wearing helmets, goggles, and heavy-duty gloves as they pulled bricks from the sidewalks. Eventually, police deemed the protest a riot and deployed 5,000 officers to disperse the crowds using rubber bullets, pepper spray, and hand-thrown tear gas. So... They, dis- they postponed the debate, but Carrie Lam, the leader of Hong Kong, refuses to withdraw the bill, maintaining its importance for plugging those loopholes that might allow Hong Kong to become a safe haven for fugitives. I've been reporting about Sudan for a few weeks now, and this week, things kept happening. <laughs> So, a move to shut down the city of Khartoum proved successful this weekend, as the typically crowded beginning of the work week on Sunday looked deserted. The city of two million people has been occupied by various protests and violence for weeks, after a months-long protest to remove former President Omar al-Bashir. Following the violence of last Monday, which I reported about last week, in which the Rapid Support Forces, which is a paramilitary group in support of the current government, wreaked violent havoc on a protest, killing over 118 people in a week, four more people have been killed. Two of the killed were fatally beaten and stabbed by RSF and One was a 20-year-old man shot in the chest by the same group. So, this all happened. The Sudanese Professionals Association, who are the organizers of last Monday's protest, said that the government has also shut down public and private medical centers. The 
CCSD says eight hospitals were completely shut down. And then on Monday, militias in Sudan fired live ammunition at civilians in a market in Dalij, killing at least nine and wounding 20. Later in the week, the United Nations confirmed that 17 people had died and more than 100 houses were burned in a village in Darfur. So, in response, the U.S. State Department appointed Donald Booth, a veteran diplomat, as a special envoy to Sudan. The envoy is already traveling in the region with the top U.S. diplomat to Africa, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State. They are meeting with both parties involved in Khartoum. So, this is a, a long explanation but something that i find important which is why i will explain it for quite a while (laughs) the united states citizenship and immigration services which is an agency part of the department of homeland security is in charge of assessing and administering applications and the process of citizenship green cards and visas and on monday it received new leadership Trump named Ken Cuccinelli its principal deputy. The organization was previously led by L. Francis Cessna, who Trump forced to resign. Forced to resign. Cuccinelli is a former attorney general of Virginia and unsuccessfully ran a bid for the state's governor in 2013. He has never held a position in the federal government. On Monday, he sent out an email to staffers saying, quote, we will also work to find long-term solutions to close asylum loopholes that encourage many to make the dangerous journey into the United States so that those who truly need humanitarian protections and meet the criteria under the law receive them. Cuccinelli is known for his hardline immigration views for which he advocates as a guest on many news network shows. These include denying citizenship to American-born children of undocumented parents living in the United States and arguing for the usage of, quote, war powers as a deterrent of Central American migrants who are seeking asylum in the United States, a phenomenon which he refers to as an invasion. He said in an interview with Breitbart Radio, quote, you don't have to keep them. No catch and release, no nothing. You just point him back across the river and let him swim for it. Current and former staffers are worried about Cuccinelli's leadership, indicating a strong turn in the direction of the agency. Quote, everything in that email suggests he is more interested in enforcement than in services, which is the agency's mission. The growing list of constant policy changes at USCIS has dramatically slowed the agency's core mission said Ur Jadu, who is a former chief counsel at the agency. Some DHS officials, as well as one particular scholar of law, is concerned about the legality of Cuccinelli's appointment. And this is why this description is so long. So Congress maintains an advice and consent role in confirming appointees as an office of an executive agency. The Trump administration utilized the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, or the FVRA, to make Cuccinelli's appointment. According to a professor of law at the University of Texas named Steve Ledeck, this appointment does not violate the letter 
of the FVRA, but violates its spirit. He offered a response to Cuccinelli's appointment within hours, which is a long, detailed, and extremely well-explained response. But here's the gist. Trump named Cuccinelli the, quote, principal acting director, despite two things. There's already an acting director, and this position didn't exist before Cuccinelli acquired it. According to the FVRA, a president's appointee is not permitted if they, quote, did not serve in the position of first assistant to the office of such officer or served in the position of first assistant to the office of such officer for less than 90 days. But, in a provision, this does not apply if the appointee is the current acting first assistant, which is technically the position Cuccinelli now holds. So, essentially, this means that because of this provision, Cuccinelli's new position will allow him to run the agency without requiring Mark Cummins, who is the current acting director, to be dismissed. And this whole situation is worrisome because if this is legal, which it technically is, then it means that it's a loophole that really the president can use to appoint an office, an executive officer of any executive agency without using the advice and consent role that Congress is supposed to play in new appointees. So, as I said, Vladek explains all of this better and even more in depth in his response. Monsoon United Asian Women of Iowa serves victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault in Asian and Pacific Islander communities in Iowa. Monsoon's mission is to end all forms of gender-based violence and build healthy communities through transformative justice and social change. The organization serves all 99 counties in the state of Iowa. Monsoon's programs include direct services, community outreach and education, violence prevention, and technical assistance. Monsoon has two offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. All staff members are multilingual and together speak 20 languages. Monsoon services are free and confidential. For more information, visit MUAWI. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, announced on Monday that the country plans to ban single-use plastics by 2021. While he did not name any specific products to be banned, he said candidates include plastic bags, straws, cutlery, plates, and sticks. Quote, where supported by scientific evidence and warranted. Canada has the world's largest coastline, totaling 151,019 miles, and is home to a quarter of the world's fresh water. According to a United Nations report published last year, more than 60 nations have pledged to reduce single-use plastics through bans or taxes, and states in the United States have done so as well. California, Hawaii, and New York states have instated similar bans on most types of single-use plastic bags for retail sales. This week, two conferences were held regarding sexual abuse in the church, both Baptist and Catholic. Delegates representing approximately 47,000 Southern Baptist churches gathered in Birmingham and took strong steps toward handling sexual abuse within their denomination. 
Delegates voted to establish a special committee tasked with evaluating abuse claims against churches and also approved an amendment allowing the removal of churches from the convention if they mishandle or cover up sexual abuse cases. Also on Tuesday, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops held their four-day spring meeting in Baltimore. Part of their conference is devoted to confronting child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, which they noted as being a deterrent for many Catholic people in continuing to attend or identify with the faith. Proposals have been made, including compassionate pastoral care for abuse victims and a new abuse reporting system. Record rainfalls have hit China all month, culminating in devastating rainfalls this past week. More than 2 million people have been affected by this week's rain, including 300,000 people evacuated, over 7,000 collapsed houses, badly damaged roads and bridges, thousands of hectares of crops destroyed, and thousands of people stranded. The government estimates direct economic losses as of Wednesday at... $1.4 billion. 49 people have died and 14 are missing. The women's national team, the U.S. women's national team of soccer, won their match against Thailand on Tuesday in a stunning 13-0 victory, which is the record for the most goals ever scored in a single World Cup match for men or women. The previous record was set in 1954 when Austria beat Switzerland from 7 to 5. Their next match is set for Sunday in Paris against Chile. Yemen has been racked with conflict for four years as the government has been at war with a rebel movement, Houthi. At least 7,000 people have died and 11,000 have been injured as a result, the majority of whom have died due to airstrikes. In March 2015, the fighting escalated as the Houthis took control of western Yemen, forcing President Araba Mansour Hadi to flee the country. The coalition of Arab states has formed to back the Yemen government, a coalition including Saudi Arabia. Early Wednesday morning, the Houthis retaliated against this coalition by firing a missile at an airport in Saudi Arabia at 2.21 a.m. 26 civilians were injured. In response, coalition military spokesman Kol Turki al-Maliki says the coalition will work to deter the Houthis and protect civilians and civilian objects. In the Memphis neighborhood of Frazier, which is 80% black, U.S. Marshals shot and killed Brandon Weber in North Memphis on Wednesday night. Weber was wanted as a suspect in an armed robbery and aggravated assault case in Hernando, which is a town 25 miles south of Memphis. According to reports, he quote, reportedly rammed his vehicle into the officer's vehicles multiple times before exiting with a weapon. The officers fired, striking and killing the individual. No officers were injured. He was shot by U.S. Marshals, but Memphis police came to the scene of the incident to help contain it. 
and after word traveled about the killing of yet another black man, protesters began demonstrating. And since Memphis police were on the scene and police have a history of unjust brutality against black people, protesters assumed them to be involved. Some began throwing rocks and bricks at police, injuring at least 36 officers and vandalizing multiple police cars. However, the police director, Michael Rawlings, noted that, quote, there were many individuals in the crowd that tried to assist them in keeping everyone calm. Weber graduated in 2017 from Central High School, and his former principal, Greg McCullough, spoke out about his death. Quote, my heart is broken over the news regarding the death of Brandon Weber. I remember that he was a very talented art student. He seemed to really love his experience at Central High, and he engaged well with others. Early on Thursday morning, two tankers in the Gulf of Oman were attacked near the Strait of Ormuz in international waters. One, owned by a Bermuda-based Norwegian company, carried oil, and the other, a Japanese-owned chemical tanker, carried a cargo of chemicals. Three explosions occurred on the Norwegian vessel and two on the Japanese. All crew members were safely evacuated and marshals arrived within minutes. Investigators found an exploded limpet mine, which is attached to the hull of the ship using magnets. This is the same mine thought to have been used in an attack last month, in which four commercial ships were attacked off the coast of the United Arab Emirates. The suspected responsibility of last month's attack is Iran, and the United States announced that it believes Iran is responsible for this attack as well, though other countries and organizations are hesitant to back up the claim. While Russia says it's premature to draw conclusions, Iran Foreign Minister Mohammad Jafad Zarif said, quote, suspicious doesn't begin to subscribe what likely transpired this morning after noting that the attacks occurred during Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's visit to Iran. Andrew Cuomo signed a bill yesterday removing non-medical exemptions from school vaccination requirements, thereby requiring school children to be vaccinated, no matter personal or religious objections. This law goes into effect immediately and mirrors legislation in California, Mississippi, West Virginia, and Maine. Cuomo, who is the governor of New York, says he understands and respects freedom of religion, but his primary concern is public health. This new legislation comes after a measles outbreak in New York that happened this year, in which over 800 people in the state became infected with the disease. In the past year, 28 states have reported cases of measles to the CDC. On Thursday night, Donald Trump announced via tweet that Sarah Sanders, current White House press secretary, is leaving her position there. She has worked there for three and a half years, and she confirmed her departure during a press conference, which was her first in 94 days. She said that the job has been, quote, an honor of a lifetime, and that she, quote, couldn't be prouder to have the opportunity to serve my country, and particularly to work for this president. 
I've loved every minute, even the hard minutes. She is leaving for her home state of Arkansas and is suspected by close family and friends and Donald Trump and thus multiple other people to be launching a campaign for governor of Arkansas, the election of which is in 2022. Congress has only 16 days to debate a deal in front of them right now regarding the care and funding of unaccompanied minors at the U.S.-Mexico border. Undocumented minors currently living under the care of the Department of Health and Human Services, most of whom either crossed the border by themselves or with parents from whom they are separated, require food, shelter, and medical care, as any kids do. HHS is quickly running out of money to provide these essentials, however, and as of April 12th, 12,600 minors were being held in government facilities. So the department has shared that it will run out of funding for these facilities due to having to provide these resources for so many kids within the month. Talks about funding are stalling as a controversial issue becomes part of the discussion. Border security. But the discussion is occurring, but no deal has been reached. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, nearly 1,400 people have died in an outbreak of the Ebola virus. This epidemic is the second largest in the history of Ebola, where the worst was seen during the outbreak between 2013 and 2016. It will likely not slow down in the near future because efforts to delay the disease have been difficult and thwarted as militia violence and other individuals suspicious of foreign medical assistance have attacked nearly 200 health facilities in the Democratic Republic of Congo this year. In Uganda, a six-year-old and his mother, grandmother died of the disease, which is the first introduction of Ebola to the country. Six other cases have since been reported. Despite all of this, the WHO has ruled twice that this is not yet a global emergency. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, signed a bill on Monday that was introduced by State Representative Matt Krause. And this bill is kind of exciting this is my story i like to end on a good note and it legalizes the occasional sale of non-alcoholic drinks at stands run by minors on private property it's based on an occasion in which two sisters andrea and zoe green good name set up a stand to raise money to take their dad to Splash Kingdom for Father's Day in 2015. At that point, it was required for them to have a peddler's permit, which they didn't because they're children, to, but police shut them 
down in consequence. So this bill, as Governor Abbott will describe, goes into effect on September 1st. Here's a common sense law. It allows kids to sell lemonade at lemonade stands. We had to pass it because police shut down a lemonade stand here in Texas. So kids. And he signs the bill and shows it off. So that's all for the news this week. And I'll be back next week to give you some more. So just quickly before I go. It is currently 64 degrees outside. Very sunny. It's been a beautiful morning all morning. Feels like 63 and today has a high of 75 degrees with some rain expected. So please be on the lookout for rain in the afternoon. But as of right now, it's a beautiful morning. See you next week.